I'm the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. In, I think, 94, I was in college, and I started just homebrewing. I got kind of a taste for good beer. At that point in time, it was mostly imports. You know, like every college kid, you think, okay, yeah, there's lots of different kinds of beer. There's, you know, Bud Light, Miller, like Coors Light, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and then a friend of mine kind of turned me on to uh, to imports, and I was like, hey, this, that's, uh, that's, I like that. That's Dave Fudron, the founder of Southern Star Brewery near Houston, Texas. Dave used to be the head brewer at St. Arnold Brewery before he split to do things his own way and founded Southern Star, which went on to become the first brewery in Texas to can craft beer. I didn't get the chance to talk to Dave before I had to come home to Washington, but now he's here on the phone. Today we're nerding out about water chemistry, what it takes to get and stay big in the competitive craft beer scene, and what's different about running a brewery in Texas. Spoiler, it's harder, but Dave has had no trouble growing his brewery into a Texas craft powerhouse. So I quickly find out that I couldn't afford them because I was in, uh, you know, in college. So right. I started, I started home brewing, um, and, uh, started winning some, uh, some medals, uh, you know, through local homebrew competitions. Uh, I was just, you know, just doing it as a hobby. Um, my degree is in natural resource conservation, so it doesn't have a whole lot to do with brewing, although it has some, it's got biology and whatnot. So, uh, some chemistry and stuff. Um, so when I got out of school, I saw a job opening at St. Arnold. St. Arnold, by the way, the oldest craft brewery in Texas. And I figured, okay, well, I'll apply. I've been applying all over everywhere for lots of different kinds of jobs and wasn't having much luck. Uh, this was in 1997. So I applied for uh, for the job at, at St. Arnold. So I started there as an assistant brewer and ran the labeler as well uh, on the packaging line. Granted, this was a long time ago, so there was only probably you know, maybe five of us out on the production floor. So um, so we all did a, lo- a little bit of everything. Became head brewer, worked there for six years. And uh, about that time, I decided I wanted to strike out on my own. And that's uh, the time that I left and um, and started Southern Star Brewing. So what was kind of going through your mind while you were the head brewer at St. Arnold's and you were thinking, I got to start my own brewery, but it, I don't know, I can't imagine plenty of other brewers thinking, I'm a head brewer right here, this is kind of my jam. Did you decide you would rather be running a business? I mean, how much brewing do you get to do now? Uh, now I don't get to do hardly any brewing, but um, but when I first started, I was doing pretty much when I first started, there was only two of us, uh, and one guy was uh, he he homebrewed, and we started doing test batches together while I was working at St. Arnold. I mean, we'd been homebrewing together as well, um, and then um, I don't know. I mean, I decided to leave. There was uh, there was a little bit of divergence in brewing philosophy uh, that we have. I'm a total beer nerd, mm-hmm. so uh, but not in the conventional way. I was like you know like beer nerd version 1.0, you know, so yeah. like, you know, back in the day, I'm, I'm more of a nerd for process. And uh-huh. there was some, there was a lot of process, uh, kind of, uh, you know, disagreement, not disagreements really, but just changes of philosophy. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, kind of felt, I, you know, I'd like to do it this way. Well, can you be any more specific about that? I mean, like, uh, like the technical details actually sound kind of fun. Just a quick interjection. From here out, we started talking about water, which I'm just giving you a heads up, got a little technical. I'm guessing since you're here, I can sort of bank on you being into that kind of stuff, but if not, then uh, uh, sorry about you. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, to kind of nerd out, a lot of it was water related. Uh, mm-hmm. We had understandably gone to, if in general, gone to a reverse osmosis system uh, because the, the the water of the city of Houston, that the place that they were at, especially mm-hmm. um, your water would your water profiles would change. You know, from day to day, the source of the water would change. So sometimes you'd be getting surface water, sometimes you'd be getting groundwater, and and it, it was all over everywhere. So I understand exactly why they went to reverse osmosis, but. Right. Um, but then, you know, not having uh, having just enough water chemistry experience to really know that we didn't know what we were doing at that point in time, uh, kind of kind of uh, threw me off some. And uh, and in my my biggest you know beef was that we'd had these beers and we really started making beers with water that didn't have a whole lot of minerals in it because you're taking them all out and. Uh, you know, I knew about enough about water chemistry to know that you know you want to get some calcium back in there. But uh, any of the reasons that we were putting calcium in there would uh, any of the ways we were putting calcium in there would either make your sulfates too high or your uh, your chlorides too high. So, mm. so I thought the beers changed for uh, you know uh, a different reason. I mean, what do I know though? I mean, they've grown on to be you know probably six times the size they were when I left. So, <laughs> so it was a very personal thing. Uh, and I, I liked, uh, I liked doing things. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of German brewing, uh, German style brewing, and they did mostly English style brewing there. So, um, I'm a huge fan of doing step mashes and decoction mashes and stuff like that. And, uh, that was uh, a point of divergence as well, uh, at St. Arnold. So, um, so, I mean, and, and I guess down to the end of it, too, every brewer at some point in time thinks, I can do that, you know, and I, yeah. you know, and I guess the entrepreneur in me arose that I didn't know was there. I uh, didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I, you know, started the brewery, and I thought, okay, now I just get to brew, you know, how I want to brew, and um Turns out that you got to run business too, and I didn't really know how to do that very much. So, <laughs> so I had to learn that uh, pretty quick. Uh, learned that on the curve. You know, made some costly mistakes. Uh, learned a lot from it, and um, you know, still learning. Yeah. Uh, now that's that's pretty much exclusively what I do. I've taken over just the role of you know, I've shed a lot of the other roles that I had. You know, so we've grown. I've hired people that can do. Uh, you know the jobs that I was doing. You know, hopefully better than I could be doing them, and uh, and took kind of control of the, took the helm, so to speak. You know, I, I figured that's using my 20 years in the industry experience that that would be the most uh, beneficial place for me is to kind of you know be a CEO and try to guide us through uh, through the industry. So right now, yeah, you're the CEO. You basically don't get to brew anymore. Uh, how many people are working at the brewery these days? Actually, yeah, tell me about the brewery and sort of give me a sense of the scale. I haven't had a chance to go explore it. I've seen your promotional video. I sort of know that it's it's really big. It has its own, like, lots of canning and tons of beers. I mean, it, you, you know, it, it, and... it looks bigger than it actually is, you know, and actually it doesn't even look that big once you get out there. It's, I mean, we're we're a lot bigger than we were, you mm-hmm. know. Um we started out that first year we brewed like 330 barrels of beer. So uh, this year we did almost 14,000. Okay. So we've had a good we've had a good growth rate, but I mean 14,000 is is very small when you start comparing us to places even like you know St. Arnold and Real Ale and Carbach and whatnot, and yeah. especially you know start some of the the bigger breweries out west and in the Pacific Northwest. So um, you know we're classified as a very very small regional brewery right now. We mm-hmm. haven't quite we're we're a large microbrewery, a small regional brewery is defined by the Brewers Association. We are 
we're not going to let that kind of define who we are. We've taken the role in our, our new, you know, structure and way we're going is we look at ourselves as a small regional brewery that is still aspiring to grow some. We are in our second facility. We started, uh, we started in a warehouse, uh, just, you know, like most breweries do, or I mean, they used to, now not so much, but they used to start in a warehouse, you know, just retrofit everything to try to make beer. It's just like you find a place to make beer and you make beer and make as much as you can, make it as best you can in that facility. We brewed there for almost eight years and really tore the place up pretty good. Uh, just making mm-hmm. beer is hard on, hard on a warehouse when you don't have, you know, the proper floors, you don't have the proper drains, you don't have slope, you don't have anything that's, you know everything's wrong, really, but uh, but the rent was acceptable, so we uh, we just kind of went that direction. So uh, now we, uh, I guess, about 2014, maybe it was before. Now it had to been before that. Uh, early on, maybe 2012, maybe we found this piece of property that we were that uh, that we're on now and and secured it. And then uh, started building a brewery from the ground up. So that that you saw on the video was uh, is, is our new facility that we're in, and it's much larger than the other one. We we upgraded from we went from a 15 barrel uh, two vessel brew house, uh, and then we ended up adding another vessel to that brew house. But with, now we've got a four vessel 60 barrel brew house. Um, you know um, our, our tanks are uh, 120 barrels, and then we've got some we've got some 60s that we that we took from the other brewery as well. So. Uh, going between 15 barrel batches and 60 barrel batches was, uh, um, you know, it was, it was a bit of a jump. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty that's pretty big. 60 barrel, like up here in the Northwest, like we have a lot of breweries that don't like that never break 10 barrel. Like that's kind of the uh, um, right. Yeah. Those, but those are like the local breweries, and you're definitely sure. Yeah. And then yeah. the market's starting to turn to that model here as well. Yeah. There's a lot of smaller breweries that have. Yeah, I mean, there are five, sometimes two barrel systems that just brew for, uh, you know, for people that come in. You know, we are kind of, uh, we, we're on that, that last kind of business plan of, of the kind of production brewery to where we were going to grow and, and get big. And we kind of, we did it, but <laughs> we were on the very tail end of it because, uh, it's changing a bit right now. But, uh, yeah. We we feel pretty comfortable with where we're at, you know. Hopefully that we've got um, some security, we've got brand recognition, uh, we make good liquid. So um, you know, so I'm I'm pretty happy about where we're at right now. We we were the first uh, craft brewery in Texas to can, um, so we've got you know that that's worked out very well for us. So you know, it's it's funny we went from being the pioneers having to go out and explain to people that no, you know, good beer can come in cans as well. Yeah. And now, um, now we're fighting for room in the cold box with other cans. So, <laughs> so, um, so that, like I said, that worked out fairly well for us. Yeah. I noticed that like, yeah, Carbach of course came in and just took over everything over there. And I don't know, what's your sort of opinion of that? Like the whole AB InBev stuff, like that kind of thing going on, uh, that it is for me, it's pretty tragic when a brewery gets bought out by, uh, AB InBev, and I don't know what you think. You know, I I think that uh, I think that AB InBev is a very uh, smart, uh, you know, acquisitions company. That and that's what they do. They come in and they have uh, finally figured out how to, um, you know, how to how to break into the market that has been the only market really in beer that has been growing consistently in the last ten years. And I think they're doing a heck of a job doing it. Um, 
Uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job still um, not advertising that they are this Belgian, this big conglomerate. Doesn't matter what company they're, what country they're from, but yeah, um, you know, and and uh, I think that they did a good job estimating that the majority of the people don't care. You know, uh, I know that you know I feel pretty passionate about it. Obviously, you do too. But uh, um, it's it's going to be um, it's it's hard. It's it's hard to compete when you've you know, we've all collectively the independent brewers are kind of getting one high, one hand tied behind their back because there's no way in the world we're going to compete with Budweiser because mm-hmm. you can call it Carbach, you can call it Goose Island, but it's not. It's the Goose Island brand of ABI. It's the Carbach brand of ABI. It's the it's the Houston ABI craft beer facility and yeah. craft with parentheses around it. Um, has the liquid changed? Not really. Still really good quality beer. Um, they still have a story to tell. And I think with so many people out there, it's it's harder and harder for people to uh, um, to tell what's you know what's um, unless they do their research, uh, what's independent, what's not. And then you know I, I think that there's quite a few people out there that simply just don't care. It's like, does this beer taste good? Cool, I'll drink it. You know, um, I think it's easy for us to get wrapped up in. Uh, especially craft beer drinkers, the core craft beer drinkers that have been, you know, they're really into this or have been doing this for a while. They value local, you know, independently owned stuff. And but you know, you got to look around. There's a whole lot of people that still shop at Walmart. And yeah, know? yeah. So you know, that's kind of what what we're dealing with. So that's one of our biggest struggles right now. And you know, there's no way you can, can compete against it. You know, if if uh, if ABI lowers their craft package price to six dollars a six pack. We can lower ours down to five fifty. It's not sustainable, but they're just lower theirs down to five, and you know they've got way deeper pockets than we do. So it's uh, it's hard to compete. It's yeah. hard to compete. You know when you got and and eventually I think their end game is, and they're doing it very well. Their end game is to buy, um, and they've pretty much already done it. Their end game I think is to start brewing. They, they see what sells best in what markets. They've introduced. You know we now have a lesion here. We've got. Uh, you know, Goose Island and, and some of their other stuff that, that they've got. So, you know, they'll just start brewing those brands at the craft plant or at the uh, the Budweiser facility, um, the big batch facility that they've got in uh, in Houston. And that way they can out-compete us in price. Oh, man, it's just... It's chilling. Sorry, it's, pretty grim, it. it's a pretty pretty grim picture, but uh, but that's yeah. what they're doing. So yeah. you know the BAs, uh, the BA I think did a very uh, helpful thing by um, by and, and smart thing by putting out the independent owned seal, um, which we immediately adapted into all of our uh, packaging and some of our T-shirts and whatnot. But uh, will it be enough? I, I I don't know. It's one of those things. It's the competition getting fierce. It's not just competition with you know the big boys are in the ring now too. So it's it's a little daunting. So you yeah you mentioned that there was a lot of other competition locally. Do you, do you happen to know offhand like a good estimate for the number of breweries that are in Texas these days or even in Houston? I you know I'm kind of making this stuff up and I wish that I um, had the numbers right in front of me. The Texas Craft Brewers Guild has you know guild members and and most most of them are not all of them. I want to say, and it's hard too because in Texas the 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 uh, definition between brew pubs and production facilities is is completely blurred now. So it used to be there was this many production facilities and this many brew pubs, but now the brew pubs can um, can sell their stuff off premise uh, oh. as well. And and um, what's happened? Production breweries still can't sell their stuff on premise. Well, they can, but they can't sell it to go. Most of most of the the breweries that 
make under the cap of the brew pub, which is 10,000 barrels, have changed their change their license to a brew pub there's because so because they can have uh, off you know on premise sale they can sell like we can't sell a growler to go but but no label can because they just changed their per, they just changed their license to a brew pub because they made you know 6000 7000 barrels last year so they're under the 10000 barrel cap uh we're above the 10000 barrel cap so we can't sell I, I can't sell somebody a six pack to go out of here from a from the tap room or from anything. Yeah. I can sell them an open beer, but I can't sell them uh I can't sell them a beer to be consumed off the premises, which is Texas huh. is now the only state in the United States that that's not legal for breweries to do. That is so weird. Uh like yeah, obviously up in Washington we have our own set of like licensing things and they're always a nightmare for every brewer that I've talked to. Sounds like Texas is even more of a pain, and which is funny because it used to be so much worse. So it's gotten much better in just like the last decade, right? Uh, it has. I mean we've 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 fought, you know, I mean when we started our brewery, we still had to give beer away for free. We'd sell you a glass. It was loop there's always a loophole. Yeah. But uh well there's there's not a loophole this time for selling somebody a beer to take off premise. That's pretty cut and dry. But uh yeah. we could give somebody a beer to take it off of premise, but I don't yeah. think that they're gonna buy is like, we'll sell you this can and it has beer in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. they, didn't, they didn't really care about glasses, but uh yeah, yeah it's a, I don't I don't think you know, we don't push our luck too much. <laughs> <laughs> trying to change the law, but uh, yeah, um, you know we do what we can. Yeah, but it has gotten a lot better. I mean, it's 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 really helped us. Our tap room sales has helped us generate a little, you know, some extra income. I mean, we make most of our money obviously off of selling to, to uh, out to the distributors that go out to the market. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, it, it does help to have uh, an extra set of revenue here and not have to say we'll sell you a glass, wink, wink. You know, we'll yeah. and give you three free beers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember doing the uh, the the tour at St. Arnold's. Like, yeah, you pay ten dollars or five dollars to get the tour, which came with a tasting glass, a handful of free drinks, and then they would announce the tour. But really, you could just sit there and not go, and that's what everyone did. Right, you know. And then they did it really brilliantly too. They said, "Well, you can just buy a glass, and then we'll fill that up." So. So you paid five bucks, you got three free beers, which is what we used to do. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd much rather sell you, you know three beers for four dollars a piece right you know? yeah, yeah, so, yeah exactly um or even three dollars a piece and make three times as much money off of it but um you know that those those things help us grow our business you know the, our tap room's not what we're you know making all of our money off of right uh, although we do a pretty good business up there but um our tap room is more about the experience of going and drinking at the brewery, just like a you know, normal tap room is. You, you go there for the ambiance, you go there for the experience, you go there for the really super fresh beer. So speaking of beer, let's talk about that. So you, I said that I've tried basically your variety pack. I, I guess those are your four main staples. You had an IPA, a Kolsch, like a blood orange ale, uh, and uh, and then what was that last? And the bombshell blonde. Yeah, and uh, I was. Happy to hear that you were talking about all your like favorite German brewing styles because when I was trying your beers, the Kolsch was definitely the standout, at least to me. I thought it was so good, and like I, I actually just got back from Germany, and I uh, was in Cologne, and I was drinking a ton of Kolsches, and I thought that yours was like very authentic, and I was really excited That's to have it. Awesome, man. I'm, I'm really, really 
happy to hear that. Uh, really, really happy to hear that. Um, you know, I've been to I've been to uh, around Colm to, to have some of the cultures there, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny. I was I was working at St. Arnold at the time. This is before we went to the RO system there. And lawnmower is a is a Kolsch as well. And one of the beers that I had, in fact, the first one that I had there, I popped it open and I poured it. came in a bottle, you know, and I mm-hmm. popped it up and I poured it in my glass and I took a drink. And I said that tastes exactly like fancy lawnmower beer. Um, but but as we went to the RO system and stripped all the calcium out of it, that beer changed dramatically. Some mm-hmm. people think it changed for the better. It definitely was more consistent, but it lost kind of its soul, I think. And that's mm-hmm. where you know that's what people just take water for granted and. Uh, and that I mean it's ninety to ninety five percent of your of your beer and you know it's uh to to start with you know, to start with just water, you know, just pretty much distilled water and try to build it up. I mean, I understand why that is if you got water especially if you got water consistency problems you're trying to do a special style. My philosophy is you take your water and you build your beers around it. You know, so and that's what I've done. Uh and that's what we did with the Kolsch. Um the Kolsch was a co creation between uh my head brewer, I just turned him into production manager, um, uh, and I, I trained him at St. Arnold too. So, um, so he's a St. Arnold alumni as well. Oh so. wow, it's kind of a so small that, world over there, isn't it? It kind of is, yeah. Well, now um, No Labels uh, ex head brewer is now working for us as well. So. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. So we we've got a we've got a, we've got a really really talented uh, and experienced crew. Yeah, all star lineup for sure. You know the the ones that really I think shine out in our portfolio. Um, our spring pills is amazing. Uh, we do that's German style pills, and then our our Oktoberfest. I think I mean this is my opinion. Our Oktoberfest beats everybody else's in Texas hands down. It's because we do a decoction <laughs> mash. We do we 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 take you know super duper. There's no caramel malt in it at all. Everything's done through decoction mashing, so it's got kettle caramelization. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it is fantastic. It's so good. And it's just the extra care. I mean, everything in there is German except the water and the labor. So it's 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 really nice. I, I I really enjoy it. And then the one that you didn't get that is one of our mainstays that has been with us since the beginning or almost the beginning is our buried hatchet uh, stout, which is a um, it's it's a weird beer. It's uh, the only it's won awards, but it's won awards for not to style because it really isn't a style. Um, if I had to put a style on it, it would be an English Imperial Stout, but uh, it's a beast of its own. It's quite strong. It's about nine percent alcohol, um, but it drinks like it's about six and a half, so it's, <laughs> it's super dangerous. And yeah. and it's it's unique in the fact that um, it's just it's, it's a unique stout. You've uh, you know when people have it, they're like, wow, I've never had a beer that tastes like that. It's really really good. It's mm. uh, uh, we use a lot of brown malt in it. So it's kind of bordering on porter as well, but it's, as like I said, it's, it's a beer that really doesn't have, it's got a ton yeah. of oatmeal in it, it's got a ton of wheat in it. So it's like, wow, it's, really? it's, it's, it's creamy, it's, it has some, co- a lot of actually really strong coffee notes on it, um, a little bit of chocolate, it's not very bitter at all. We utilize nothing but first word hops in it, and they're, uh, they're you know, um, German first word hops, and um and then we put it on nitro, and it just turned into a completely different animal. So I'm trying to figure out, mm. still trying to figure out how we can put widgets in our cans and can it nitro because uh, it's still can carbonated. Oh, that would be pretty great. Uh, doesn't Guinness have like a patent on their little uh, on that widget thing? They do, so it, it becomes hard for. I mean, there's other people that do something like it. Um, 
we haven't figured it out yet. We don't have the resources to do it. Yeah. What about untapped? That's something that a lot of people get grumpy about. A lot of, I've been, I don't know, sort of overhearing from some brewers that like, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're familiar with the app untapped, um, for rating beers. And like it, from what I've been hearing, and I'm just sort of catching glimpses of this, uh, that breweries don't really like it that much. Like it's not really doing anyone any favors. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? I personally have had it uninstalled from my phone for several years. Um, I don't pay attention to it. Yeah, and it's not—it's not out of arrogance. It's out of uh, just—it's frustrating to have somebody have a beer and they preface it. I don't like IPAs, and then judge your IPA. You yeah. know that's yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. Um, well, that's fair. I mean, it all is fair, but uh, you know, I think that. It's one of those things that create that drives its own sensation. It's a consumer thing, you know. It's a consumer-driven thing. So you, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, and I guess I don't know. I, I just I I really don't like it very much. I, it's, you know, part of it is you don't want to sit there and take criticism about your stuff. But yeah. I think that there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking going on with, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, with Untapped. So um, I don't. It just seems like when everybody has, you know, when when everybody gets a say about something, when everybody's a critic, it doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, it's it's yeah. one of those things that, you know, if if somebody that I respected that was, you know, that was a cicerone, you know, that had training, tell me and critique my beer, I'd give that a lot of credence. But yeah. you know, somebody that especially it's like somebody like can get on and say, you know, your beer tastes like it was infected and whatnot, and really it was just dirty lines at a draft account that you didn't have any control over. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, I, that's why I just quit paying attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I did. And I think a lot of brewers are doing that. I have the same sentiment, you know. I think everybody wants to have, especially when you first start, you want to get you want to get that um, that feedback and you want to be, you know, get justified for doing what you're doing. And mm-hmm. I think it can be damaging to, uh, to <laughs> it's definitely damaging to brewer psyches, you know, and, and, yeah. and uh, sometimes their, uh, their uh, self-esteem. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided, you know what, I'm not even paying attention to this anymore. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't even looked at untapped for several years. That's probably for the better. I, um, I sort of have a philosophy that I don't really rate beers because there's no way to really do it. Uh, like so much of the, I find that every beer I have in a brewery, right. Um, is always the best, right. Because it's the freshest cause you really like the environment. You're having such a great time, like actually at the brewery and the beer could be subpar and you wouldn't even like, you'd be just, you're so happy. You'd be sitting there rating at five yeah, stars. Like, I mean, yeah. It might goes. be the, you know, I mean, one of the best beers I've ever drank in my life was a Coors out of a can at a campsite. Yeah, you know, exactly. was was that was that Coors better than any other beer? No, but it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I made the mistake of uh, when I was drinking all of your beers, I was drinking it in a hot tub. So I'm just like, yep, this is great. This must be the best beer I've ever had in my entire life, and no one can ever tell me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny that going back to Untapped, uh, I, I, I'm a voracious reader. I li- I love to read, and and I rate books. And mm-hmm. th- there's a Goodreads, which is essentially the Untapped for the authors. And I've often thought about, you know, me and you know, 
my snarky ass sitting there giving a review to somebody's book, and they're like, I, you know, I poured my heart and soul into that, and I'm just tearing it apart. You know, so, you know it, just, it just depends on what, you know, I, the, I, the irony's not lost on me when I do yeah. that. No, but sometimes I'm like, but what do I know? I'm just, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, just, I'm, just a, I'm just an opinionated dude on a website, you know, writing, writing whatever, you know. <laughs> Uh, so if you're a voracious reader, I'm, and the amount of water talk you've been going through, I bet you you've, been, you've read that water from the Brewers Foundation series, the water book. Yes. I mean, I, I, I made my way through that once, and, like, it's a lot. It's pretty dense. Uh, but it's, it's a just, tough read. Yeah, but it's full of, like, really, really good uh, uh, advice. The uh, last quarter of that book is fantastic. It's just that you have to build up to it to get a full understanding of what they're trying to tell you. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really, I, I thought that too. I mean, I read it, and I'm a nerd for, I'm a, I'm a you know, self-professed water chemistry nerd. So it wasn't completely boring to me, but I'm reading that book thinking, man, this is, uh, this is heavy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most of the, a lot of the, the best brewers that I know say they've read that book four times. And I think that's, that's really great because that's really funny to me because that book came out like two or three years ago. Like, I haven't had it for very long. And it's so, it's funny to, like you read the forward of that book and they basically say, yeah, no one really knows anything about water. Uh, no one's really written any good books about it. And so we're going to do it. And then like, they're not even wrong. They kind of wrote the first real book about, uh, about brewing water. And, uh, so like, I can see why, you know, you over there would s decide that you didn't like the way Sam Arnold's was doing it. And, uh, well, I mean, I think what it came down to with water chemistry, and this is the biggest thing is, when you take the calcium carbonate out of beer, mm -hmm. you can't put it back in. But then you can only put soluble calcium forms back in it, you know, because unless you're going to trickle it through, you know, limestone or something for, uh -huh. you know, 10, you know, you're not going to get it back in there. Yeah. And calcium carbonate, I think, is the backbone of, of – it's the backbone beer mineral. So, you know – can you make great beer with, with RO water? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it. That's what most people do. But it, that's, it kind of clashed with my my philosophy was to build the beer around the water. Yeah. And I think that that's what that water chemistry book really kind of struck a chord with me is like they're like, you know, I mean, they even kind of showed in there. It's like, you know, you add this, you add this. If you've got, if you've got the right amount of calcium, you've got three times the amount of sulfate you need in there. And there's really no... You know, there's there's really no right or wrong way to do it, and I'm glad that somebody you know had the balls to write a book like that because it's um, it was uh, it's a hard it's a hard subject to tackle. What's up next for uh, Southern Star? Where are you gonna Where are you taking it? What's the five year plan? You know, our five, honestly, in this environment, our five year plan is to uh is and this doesn't sound very exciting, but our our five year plan is to try to muscle our way and keep our place at the trough. You know, yeah. I know it sounds pretty awful for what it is, but it's it's gonna be very, very important to know how to run a business for breweries in the next five years. Yeah. I think that's what it is. And it, to me it's a little bit scary because I and just learning how to run a business, really. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been pretty lucky because the market's been good, and we've made good decisions. I mean, I've got a pretty good knowledge of – or a pretty good feel for the way the markets are going and whatnot. But, um, you know, I look at what, what we've got right now, and it seems to be – like in the market in general, it seems to me that the hardest 
segment to hold on to is going to be established breweries that depend on making a lot of beer to pay their bills. And in unfortunately, you know, or fortunately or whatever, I mean, I think in the long run, that's a good sustainable model. You need that to have, you know, how else are you going to have, uh, you know, beer that people, when they think of Houston, they think of this beer. If they can only get it in one little area. <clears throat> so um, I think that that's, that's going to be a hard, uh, a hard thing to do. There's an X amount, there's a finite amount of shelf space, and we're all fighting for it. And like I said, you've got, you've got uh, a, a very large, you know, you've got the global player, um, you know, going in there and not just bullying his way to the, to the trough, but actually controlling how the trough's laid out. So it's, uh, it's hard. So our plan is to, uh, I think first and foremost, you know, I've, I've told uh, my guys here and everything, let's stick with doing what we do well, which is making clean, very balanced, drinkable beers. That's something that lets us, between me and Sam and and Taylor and Huggy Bear, the, the, the four of us, on, and I'm not even on the brew house floor, but the four of us that have brewing experience, we've got over 40 years of brewing experience, and that's something that most breweries don't have. We can, we know we can make clean, awesome drinking lagers and clean, you know, ales and colches. So let's keep focusing on that. And then we still have room to play and do some stuff, do some cool stuff. I mean, we've got, we're turning 10, you know, uh, we're about to celebrate 10 years uh, of business. Um, the, the party's in a couple of days. Congratulations. Thanks. We just made a 10% double IPA, you know, for that, just to commemorate that. We still have fun, you know, and, and make really good beers delicious, too. So I'm really, yeah. uh, you know, really looking forward to that. So it's it's fun that we can keep playing, but I think our major strategy is to continue to make um, just accessible, drinkable beers because there's, you know, if we're never going to be the most interesting brewery in the world because there's so many breweries that can – specialize in sours and do all kinds of specialized things well mm-hmm. you know you, you can't you can't make 14,000 barrels worth of you can't sell 14,000 barrels worth of that unless you're yeah. really really you know good at it so that's that's good it sounds like you have a plan i think um people listening to recording right now are going to be really mad if i don't ask this question but uh who's huggy bear <laughs> huggy bears uh that's uh, James Wolf. That's the uh, ex-head brewer from No Label. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we all just call him Huggy Bear. That is uh, one heck of a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his. Uh, uh, one thing that's really cool is we get to do, you know, I, I've started this program to where I'm putting all of our test batches on in the tap room uh, on Thursday nights. So we test batch, and we only test batch like maybe a quarter barrel at a time. Oh, wow. But it's, it's fun because I try to engage everybody uh, that works in the brewery to test batch, you know, be they brewers or packaging people or even salespeople if they want to. If their brewery, you know, passes muster, then we um, then we um, put it on upstairs. And uh, Huggy's line of IPA that he's doing is called Huggy's Fuzzy Love. <laughs> <laughs> so That's pretty great. Quarter quarter of a barrel. That's like basically homebrew size. Uh, oh yeah, so, it, de- it definitely is. Home- it, it, yeah. it's, it's not just homebrew size. It is homebrew. Um, <laughs> our test system is a uh, a hand, or just a, a, a made you know cooler, rectangular cooler with a, a hand drilled manifold in it, and we're cooking in a pretty much a big you know the hot liquor tank's a keg, and uh, we're cooking in a big pot and sparging out you know. 
out of that cooler using gravity. So um, it's a fun way to do it. Keeps us back down to fundamentals too. You know, if you you got all these bells and whistles and stuff, I mean, that's fine if you're a hobbyist, but you know, fundamentally, we want to you know just keep making beer the way we started making beer, and and I like the fact that we do that. So what is your uh, this? Okay, I'm going to totally put you on a spot here because n- nobody ever has this loaded up in their brain. But what is your favorite beer that's not one of yours? Oh, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> only because only because there's so many different types of beer. You know, it's like asking me what my favorite metal band is. You know, it's yeah. There's so many. Uh, well, well, wait. What's your favorite metal band? I can't tell you that. There's so many. I mean, I, 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 you know, maybe I can narrow it down. We pick it out to genre. What's my my favorite ambient uh, blackened folk metal band um, <laughs> that I could probably could now? Then there's three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so actually, I mean, my uh, my favorite beers, I think, and consistently, probably my favorite beer in Texas. I can't get it very often. Um, but it's uh, by one of the old Texas breweries, that, one of the old guards. They started in 1994, too. It's a brewery called Live Oak. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, those guys, you know, not surprisingly, most of their, uh, why I like them, most of their uh, beers are German-influenced as well, German-style. They do decoction mashings as well. Their, their Hefeweizen is fantastic. Uh, it, it's the only one, I, I think, in in America that I've tasted that that has that that true German Characteristic. I don't even like making Hefeweizens here because I can't make them taste like they make it that like taste in Germany. Mm. But um, <clears throat> they make a Lichtenheiner that is that is outrageous. It is so good, but they don't make it very often. Okay, so it's a smoke, like kind of a smoked Berliner Weiss. It, okay, it is so good. <laughs> oh, that's got to be crazy. Okay, I don't know how I'm gonna. It's like bar. It's like barbecue and lemonade. Uh... Oh, it's just it just works. It's so it's so good. Uh... Okay, next time I'm back in Texas, I guess I know what I'm hunting down. Yeah, yeah if they've got it, they've also got a Grotsky beer that they that they make this the Polish smoked wheat uh, that they make. They just do this stuff every once in a while. Oh man, they get one batch at a time, and it's really you know it's I don't know they do some really really cool stuff there. <laughs> All right, well that was one heck of an endorsement for them. Uh... Thank you very much, Dave. That was a ton of fun getting to talk about your brewery. If you liked this discussion then pop back on to cyclingsession.com and hear all the other episodes as they come out. We're still working on a title, but I'm pretty happy with Washington Beer Talk. So let's see, we'll see if that one sticks. If you're ever down in the Texas area, make sure you check out Southern Star. Cheers! guess i also need to know how do i pronounce your last name dave um it's it's fusion it's like bergeron but with few 
Very cool last name. I'm going to turn it into like a Dungeons and Dragons villain or something like that. <laughs> well, next time you're up, you can come play with us. We play D&D here every Tuesday night. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we're, we're, we're nerds in a lot of different ways. The way you were talking about water, I should have known you had a D&D group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want to leave that out of the podcast.